0: Sentence there in, in this paragraph is to any thinking person, the evidence is incontrovertible, yet it seems that the people most likely to arrive at the conclusion were the ones farthest from it. In other words, the experts in the scripture, the experts in the law, should have seen this, right? They should have known. They had not only the Old Testament scriptures. But they also had the records of the genealogy of everybody in the temple they could easily have looked up his records i mean matthew did luke did right to write their gospels okay they were there at during what we call the christmas story when uh these men from the east come right the magi And they say, where is the one born king of the Jews? And they have an answer. Did they go look? Did they do the research? And then, of course, all of his miracles. And that's really what John is stressing there, right? Now, John doesn't give us but seven public miracles that Jesus did. He's going to say, by the way, at the end of his gospel, you probably know what I'm talking about, right at the very end of chapter 20, um, right there where he gives. John, for some reason, waits to the very end to tell us why he wrote. You notice that. First John, he, he, he waits to chapter 5. Oh, I write these things to you, who believe in the name of the you may know have eternal life, right? This is why I'm writing to you. But same with his gospel here, you know, uh, right there at the very tail end of chapter 20, he says um, um, verse 30: but truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Okay, so Jesus didn't just, and we know that, right? The other gospels tell us other things that he no. did. And even all the gospels combined still didn't cover all of the miracles that he did. So what's interesting to me here is that John doesn't focus on the scriptures necessarily or on what, on Jesus's uh, authoritative preaching as amazing as it was. Remember John, uh, Matthew tells us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, People were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one having authority right? and not as their and not what they were used to. with the scribes and the you know, these these guys that were the the scribes but the rabbis would would quote other rabbis, you know, well, rabbis own so well, what do you think? Rabbi? Well, you know, rabbis own so says this, right? And they would never they would sort of defer the authority to each other, sort of a circular handoff. Jesus came and said, You heard that it was said, but I say to you, right. But John doesn't focus on the authority of Jesus' message. The thing he focuses on here is the signs. That they should have known who he was because of all the signs. And so the question is, um, you might miss the Messiah for any other reason, but that one alone is enough. Right?
1: Nicodemus
0: said. Right, Right, exactly. And that's what Nicodemus said. Nicodemus got it, and they weren't all the same, right? Nicodemus became a believer, so did Joseph Arimathea. Been studying him recently. Um, uh, that he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. He and he and Nicodemus were obviously friends. They knew each other, and they were kind of right, right par par. They were very wealthy, influential men. And there are two examples of of the exception, but sadly, the rule was. The, the leaders of the nation said, we will not have this man to reign over us. His blood be on us no children. and on our shoulders. Okay, how did they miss it? So John touches on that briefly here. And we looked at that last time. So we're, we're on, on our outline, okay? Point number one, rejection of Jesus by the Jews has been God's plan all along. Okay? To remember that that I've I've been telling you and this is something that you know you ever learn something and and after you learn it or it, it kind of sinks in you're like I know I've heard this probably all my <clears throat> life but it's just not really clicked you know till now anybody <laughs> else have that okay well that's kind of the way I felt when I when it dawned on me that the reason that the Gospels, and that's, that's why maybe I spent so much time putting this together on our notes, all the places where John quotes the Old Testament scriptures, right? And then kind of a comparison to, just a summary comparison to the other Gospels and how many times, particularly Matthew quotes, collectively, it's well over a hundred quotations from the Old Testament in all four Gospels. Why so many quotations? Or maybe you sort of just read it, oh, okay you know, and, and yeah, that's cool. That, that sounds really poetic. It's sort of like, you think of it as a, a maybe not filler, but sort of like enhances the the flow of the count or something like that. No, what they're trying to do is they're trying to to answer in the minds of, of particularly the Jews at that time, how could he be the Messiah? I mean, he clearly did these miracles, but he didn't do what we were told he was going to do, right? He didn't come and permanently establish the kingdom. He didn't usher in the fulfillment of the full land that Israel is supposed to occupy that God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. Right. And all of those covenants, he didn't bring all that. Well, so what they're doing with the gospel writers, including John is doing is they're going back to the scriptures to show, no, 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 this has been God's plan all along. And what Paul's going to do, and we're going to take a look at that this, this morning. We're going to start it anyway is he's going to expand on this, so, so we have a touch point here with John with Romans, okay? And both, what John tells us here briefly, Paul expands on in Romans, and we're going to do a, we're going to, a quick, like, do a flyover of, you know, we're not walking through Romans, really, okay? Again, uh, but we're going to do a quick flyover, and what I want to show you is that Paul expands on this and helps us understand that what he calls the mystery of the gospel. That is, that the Gentiles, that in God's plan, the coming of the Messiah is broken up into two parts. And there's this first part where the Messiah comes as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of Israel, of the world, right, okay. And that God, remember, he made this promise to Abraham, way back when, that all the nations, plural, will be blessed through your seed, meaning the Messiah who would come through his line, right? So that's got to be fulfilled, too. And there's all these other prophecies about the suffering servant, you know, uh, uh, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and other passages that have to be fulfilled, too. And and what was what Paul calls a mystery is a mystery because it was hidden in the Old Testament, but now it's revealed is that the Gentiles are being included in God's temporal and more importantly eternal covenant? Okay, his temporal covenants, we will participate in that, and then His eternal covenant. And actually, some of the Israelites, many of them, will miss out even on the temple. Okay, so that we'll see that, and Paul explains that in moments. Okay, so. It's very important that, that we see from the Old Testament scriptures because any jew self respecting god-fearing Jew would be wondering this and would be saying, yeah, but we have all these quotations, this just God's word you know we can't just dismiss that and say, Well, you know Jesus is Messiah despite that, no you know so, so what, John, what John's doing, yeah you know we have a lot of preconceived
2: ideas ourselves we we we've studied something and we, we come up with what we believe is true, maybe true, maybe not quite true, or maybe not true at all. But we have preconceived ideas just as those Jews did back in that day, you know? And a lot of times if we have a preconceived idea and someone else comes along and says, well, let me see, let's, let's look at this again. You know, we might resist mm-hmm. listening to somebody who has something to say in in violation of our preconceived ideas. It, I can understand, you know, the biggest part of it is the fact that their hearts weren't right. And they right. couldn't they couldn't understand because their hearts weren't right. But anyway, I, I can't understand. Just from the human perspective, mm-hmm. how that would happen.
1: You know, I, that's right. I, I think that um, their hearts, when Nicodemus came, were a little bit more sensitive to the possibility, or at least mm-hmm. thinking about Jesus in a little more favorable terms. But that it didn't, you know, as soon as you start parting your heart, it gets hard quicker. And I think yeah. the whole nation increasingly became hard and calloused. And rebellious to the point that they could want to yeah. murder. Mm. And just that, that's true. In our hearts. I know the Bible talks about the hardening of the heart.
0: Yeah. And I know that's That, that is a scary thought.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: No. It is. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, <clears throat> and,
2: and just because there's uh, uh, the statement is the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts not all of them not all of their hearts were hardened as you said nicodemus and others that their hearts were open mm-hmm. and soft and tender and, and listening mm-hmm.
0: listening By God's for grace. truth mm-hmm. and listening to the truth but not even nicodemus right away jumped on board right you know messiah yeah. the disciples were um, Kind of unusual that way, in that they jumped on board with the Messiah, but even even they didn't really understand you why. Know? and it, it took them a lot of time to come around to see. And and you're exactly right, uh, Eric. And I'm sitting here thinking of numerous examples in my life, as well as popular doctrines that are out there in the church <coughs> that uh, I used to believe that, and perhaps you too, but now uh, less so. You know, I had a great conversation with Vicky a couple months ago. She we're kind of new and and where you guys stand on the sovereignty of God and salvation. That's a big deal. Uh, And that's one of them that a lot of, a lot of churches, you know, um, and I won't get down that road, but, but they place a lot more, they, they elevate man, man's participation in being saved and and sort of diminish God's and the scripture does exactly the opposite, you know, that God is sovereign. This is his work. It's not ours. Um, absolutely, beginning to end, and uh, the scripture is absolutely clear on that. And yet, you can kind of you can kind of be blinded to those scriptures that say it very clearly because of assumptions, right? And and uh, so you know, I've been working in software engineering uh, thirty plus years. That's <laughs> true. Every time I run the math, uh, comes at the same number. But uh, uh, anyway, so one of the things one of the things I've learned, I, I like to say, this is software. Uh, uh, Engineering and it's true in anything really. Is rule number one is test always test your assumptions, always test because your assumptions are blinding you to something that's there and you you swear you see it you know what I mean you you probably don't. say, so, so, do you have any technical work? Anything you do, uh, just in life in general, always look for, and especially Bible study, test those assumptions. Yeah, good. The bring
2: one. Christians did that. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and, any, and that's why I think the Gospels are so um, uh, full of the Scriptures is because anybody who has an honest heart that's seeking would really, especially the Jews, they would really be puzzled by this Messiah that actually came. He wasn't what we were expecting. Even John the Baptist was saying about that this morning, right? Even John the Baptist was like, you know, he's coming with his winnowing fork and he's going to bring fire and judgment. He's clearing his threshing floor, right? You ever read that? And then, and then it's like it sound like the Jesus that I... And then John, when he was in prison, right? And he sent, sent those disciples of his and said, Are you the Messiah or are we looking for another one? I think John is showing there. And John, even John the Baptist, admits in chapter 3 of this gospel, John's, the Apostles' gospel, okay, that I'm the witness from earth, but he's the witness from heaven. He deserves the greater glory he must increase i must decrease right john the baptist even understood that he didn't get it all he didn't have everything he didn't know what god's full plan was here we have the benefit of hindsight in romans and other places where now with the aid of of well, with the holy spirit through his apostles through scripture we now understand what god is doing better than they did but you're exactly right we still don't know everything either right there's still more to come. We just finished the Bible studying Daniel, and you know, I last couple chapters. I say, hmm, okay, I think I have some idea what's happening here, but but the angel tells Daniel says, "Seal up yeah. the words of the book. They're sealed until the time of the end. Right. People who go through that will you know more than we do." So yeah, there's some humility that comes with that. Right? Yeah. All right, so um, let's let's move through our text here again. So that was verse 37. Verse 38 begins the first of two quotations from Isaiah's prophecy. The first one here is from which chapter in Isaiah?
1: Chapter 53.
0: Okay. The next one will be from chapter 6. Um, and we didn't look at that. So we looked at, at this one from 53 last time. Um, Lord, who has believed our report, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And by the way, I'm, I'm in a different translation of the Bible. This is the one I study with the most. So I want to bring that this morning because it's got all my underlines and anything for Romans. Yeah. So it's New King James if you're wondering why I switch versions on you. Um, so that verse right there is also quoted by Paul. Okay in 10.16. That's right. Okay. Romans 10.16. Same verse, quoted it. So that's our touch point, and that's my excuse for leaping into Romans, if you want Okay, No, because they're both trying to make the same point. It's just that Paul expands on it more than John did. Okay? So that's something to, to keep in mind. Um, this Bible actually has that in a marginal. I, I underlined it, so that, and I draw attention to it so I get it in my head that both John and the Apostle Paul are making the same point or answering the same question in both both of the books, okay? So um, what I want to do, like I said, before before we go any further than in the text, let's let's go ahead and jump over to Romans. And I try not to jump around too much in Scripture. It's easy to get lost. I understand that. But this is important, right? Right. Um, both of these texts are that prophecy from Isaiah 53 is mentioned in both places, and so they're they're, um, they're like I said, trying to make the same point. Okay, so if you would just you know maybe stretch your fingers or whatever you need to your elbows get stretched, get ready to turn some pages. <clears throat> okay, this morning, Romans chapter three is where we want to start. Um, before we before we uh, do that, though, I've got to back up to, ch- to chapter two. You don't have to turn there, but just listen for a second because we're not going to read the whole chapter. What I want to tell you is this, okay? The way sh- the, the way Romans is working, Paul starts in chapter one to address what we today call hedonists, okay? And if you remember our study in Romans. You know, we sort of laid out this spectrum of sin, right? So we're all sinners, but not everybody expresses their sin nature in the same way. And what Paul is doing is, in chapter one, he's sort of he's now he's granted he's painting with a broad brush, but not everybody in chapter who would be a sinner in chapter one ends in what amounts to like a serial killer, like Jeffrey Dahmer, right? A, a raging sexual uh, murderous maniac, okay. Um, But there are a group of people, we'll call them hedonists, who Paul says in chapter 1, God gives them over, right? Gives them over to debased passions. He gives them over to a a reprobate mind and all of these things. And you you hear all that dissent, they, 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 they. In chapter 2, he now says, instead of they and them, it's now you. He changes the pronouns in chapter 2, and he addresses the moralist in chapter 2. He calls them the Jew because the Jew is the type or the illustration of the moralist that he's speaking to. But what he's saying in chapter 2 is, you guys, you Jews who think, you know, in chapter 1 when I was condemning those hedonist Gentiles, you were saying, amen, amen, preach it, Paul, preach it, you know. But now what about you? Do you do these things too, right? And a person is not a Jew merely because of their lineage, but because of faith in Christ, right? Circumcision is not circumcision of the flesh, but of the heart by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is you moralists who are trusting in your self-righteousness and condemning others, that's the twin sins of the hypocrite, okay? Justifying myself and condemning others, and usually justifying me by comparing myself to those In chapter 1, those stark raving mad lunatic, heathens, right? Okay, Paul lays it on to them, and he spends twice as much ink condemning the moralists in chapter 2 as he does condemning the hedonist in chapter 1. Now, in chapter 3, where we are, what he's going to do is he's going to take them all together, Jew and Gentile, hedonists and moralists, all the sinners, no matter where you are on that spectrum. You know, you're on the moralist side, or you're on the hedonist side, somewhere in the middle, somewhere in there, all of us together are all condemned. Okay? And that's all the setup for the gospel, right? Because we need an alien righteousness. We need another righteousness applied to us because we can't do it. And that's his point. But before he makes that point, he's just spent a whole chapter blasting away at the Jews. And their trust in their system, and their trust in their genealogy, and their trust in their own accomplishments and self-righteousness, right? They tried to find that righteousness, accomplish that righteousness in the law, and they missed the righteousness of God available by faith in Jesus, right? And he just blasted them away. And so his audience, his Jewish audience, are like, "Whoa, Paul, what value then is is there in being a Jew? And that's how he starts chapter 3. See, so he's got to he's got to address this with his audience before he brings everybody together to say we all are sinners, okay? Jew and Gentile. And so you see that um, verses one and two, chapter three. Okay? What advantage then has the Jew? Well, what is the profit of circumcision? In other words, why go through all that? What all this time? I thought I had all this, this edge on these other people in the world who don't know God. Now you're just blew me away. So Paul says in verse two, much in every way, chiefly, because to them were committed, what? Or the, the oracles of God or the scripture. Yeah, Scripture. <clears throat> and then he goes on. Uh, it goes down to verse eight, really, where he kind of talks a little bit about that. But, but he doesn't really expand much on this idea because he doesn't, now, Paul sometimes can run on some long rabbit trails, okay? You know what I'm talking about, don't you, right? And he'll, he'll run on long rabbit trail. Not that it's not important or what he does not say is important, but, but he you can kind of get lost. And then he'll come back, you know, miles later, hours later, to his main point again. Thankfully here, he doesn't do that too much because he doesn't want to lose his audience. He wants us to come under the conviction that we are all under sin, everybody. Okay, so he doesn't do too much here. But flip now over to chapter 9. Because now is the time when he expands on what he started in chapter 3 there with that question, well, what advantage then is there in having the Scriptures, being raised in the Scriptures? Today we we would say, well, what advantage then is there in, you know, Having been raised in church and memorized scripture and went to BBS and Sunday school and all that. Um, Although it's not exactly applicable because the the Jews had a lot of other things that we don't have, you know, in terms of what we were raised with. You're raised differently if you're raised in church. Okay, so anyway, point is starting and so for the next three chapters, starting in chapter nine, he is giving us, watch this. The past, the present, and the future plan for Israel that God has, okay? And we're not going to, there's no way, obviously, we're going to read all of this. But what I want us to see is just some highlights from this. Uh, The first five verses, it resumes the point that he started in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 that we just read. He says, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bear me witness that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish myself were what? From Christ for my brother and my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertain the Now watch this. Okay. Here are all the other benefits that he didn't talk about in chapter three. So he says, okay, what? To answer this question, okay, what benefit is there being a Jew? In chapter 3, he gave us the first one. He said, okay, now the first one is that they're entrusted with the Scriptures. Now he's going to give up more, okay? Starting with verse 4, okay? Who uh, who are Israelites, and that in and of itself, hints at a, at a benefit, okay? So they're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And the, the covenant comes not just through all the sons of Abraham or all the sons of Isaac, but through that line. So they're, they're part of that line. To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law. That's the same as the scripture again. The service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and of whom, according to the flesh, what? Christ came also. His human sympathies to this nation. He's, he's a member of this nation who is overall eternally blessed God. So there's a lot of benefits there. And Paul is saying that's, that's, you know, there are benefits in being a Jew. Okay? Verse 6, though. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed will be called. That is, those who are children of the flesh, um, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the promise, this is the word promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. But not only this, but when Rebekah conceived by one man, even by her father Isaac, um, skip verse 11, verse 12, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Paul, what is your point? Verse 14. That's what he's saying, right? What, what's the point? What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Now I'll have mercy, on. he says to Moses, I'll have mercy, verse 15, on whomever I have mercy, and compassion, whomever I have compassion. Now look at verse 16, because here's the punchline. So then it is not of him who wills, <coughs> nor of him who runs, but who? Right.
1: God, who shows mercy.
0: For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and on whom he wills, he pardons. God is God. Okay? God is God. And, and his point, by the way, with Jacob and Esau is that, that neither one of them had really done anything, you know, before they're born, but Paul, God had already selected the younger. To be the one to receive the blessing. That it's God's calling. It's God's choice. It's God's sovereignty that matters here. That wins the day. Okay? That's, that's what Paul is saying. Alright, so, again, not, not to read every single verse, but God's purpose in election. That's what he's said. So, and then verses 14 through 18, God has mercy on whom he wills to have mercy. And by the way, when we went through that, and I'll say this again because this this is important in unpacking, you know, what it means that God hardens somebody's heart. Um, when it says there that He hardened Pharaoh's heart, uh, does that mean that He introduced something that wasn't there in Pharaoh's heart that he No, was already there. It was already there. there. Yeah. How did God harden Pharaoh's heart?
1: By not solving it. By not solving it. By allowing, allowing it what? to be yeah,
0: itself outside allowing the Holy Spirit to do it, it, by allowing it to run its natural course. And don't we
1: do the same? Exactly. Because even though we are believers and love them, many times we do this. I want mean, my way. I mean, I'll be honest with you, so. Everybody does it. You know, things aren't going all the way, okay.
0: Especially when the Spirit brings a, a verse or two to mind, you're know, like, yeah, but I don't <laughs> you got to remember that every single
1: person is under the just judgment of God. We are all in the body all of all
0: mm-hmm. without natural, yeah. right. mm-hmm. without His intervention. That's right, and He yeah. has to do And yeah. He chooses the He's going to do We, we have, have But I, I'm doing a study
1: in Acts, and I've just been blown away again. The love of the, the love of the Lord Paul. Oh. This man who was a—he was a bad dude, man—and he was just. But he took him, softened his heart. It just gives me great knowledge knowing that he can do the same thing with anyone that he chooses. He chose Paul, and I just—I'm just amazed at how he was. He mm-hmm. steps on my toes because I see where I was and what I've become. I could become a whole lot more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's just, it's just, it's very encouraging to see the life of Saul and changing him to Paul. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 he hasn't changed his name yet, but I, I think that's really cool because it's like, okay, now you're new. You're different. Changing your name. Mm-hmm. But you know, he, the way he just changed that name to Paul. Yeah. And what funny was, is because when he came to the, when he first got, got converted, those the other disciples were scared of him. Mm -hmm. You know, this guy gonna is he gonna backstab us? Is he gonna backstab I was just like but I didn't mean to step off it, but I just the 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 sovereignty and and the timing is perfect. We don't see it. Another one's fear. Yeah.
2: But um Pharaoh's heart like you said or like like Pastor said it it's uh uh, never mind. Uh, what I'm saying is that Pharaoh's heart was already hard, as you said. If Pharaoh's heart had been soft, God wouldn't have hardened a soft heart. Right. But the fact is that Pharaoh's heart was already hard. So, why why would he choose? It's God's foreknowledge. God knew how hard Pharaoh's heart was. He knew how bad he would be in the things that he does. He knows all that in, ahead of time. He knew that about Pharaoh. But there are others, other people, um, you know, it's not as obvious as, as it was with Pharaoh. Sometimes you wonder, is that person's heart? Hard by choice, or is it God hardening their heart? But God knows, He knows every one of us, He knows our future as well as our present. and past um, He's able to do things that you know we can't imagine.
0: <laughs> what? What? We'll yeah. Say that again, <laughs>
2: put it in both able of those Do eyes.
0: things that we can't imagine. Anybody disagree with that? Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you can yeah. ask or think. Yeah. Is God bigger than you? Yes. Yes. Is God bigger? Class, is God yes. bigger than you? Yes. Are you okay with that? Yes. I am glad. i this
2: is control. I'd be screwed up. Yeah, yeah, I am. The whole world
0: would be. Yeah, but we don't. It's a hard yeah, but okay. Maybe he can have most of it, but you know, as long as I have my one button over here that I can push at the right time and and make him jump when I say jump, right? It's a hard thing. It's, a hard thing. it's that's why this doctrine is so hard. That's why can I say this? Why the gospel, the real gospel, is offensive because it offends our pride. We don't like that. We don't like that. How can God do this to Pharaoh? It's not fair. Paul deals with this, is God unjust? And he knows it. You think we're the only ones that think that? No, Paul knows that. And so he addresses that starting in verse 19. You will say to me, by the way, in Romans, he's having this imaginary dialogue back and forth, kind of like we're doing right now, right? like Paul's one up front but he's, he's getting questions from the audience and he's that's the way he's writing Romans and so you see that in verse 19 but you will say to me then why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will right in other words okay God has got it. Why why am I at fault for why is Pharaoh at fault for falling into God's plan look how Paul answers that but indeed O oh man who are you to reply against God Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Well, the, 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 he doesn't answer that question because it's, it's a rhetorical question, right? Of course, we know that, we're making this point. What if God, verse 22, wanting to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his grace on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles? Ooh. We Gentiles. Think you know we look at the Jews today they're mostly secular they've forgotten their god and they don't know their their own history many times and, you know whatever it's kind of a more social club than than a faith and you know but um, we get snooty he's going to address that a little bit later on in chapter 11 he's going to say well if you think that you're a big deal because other the other Israelites were removed and you were crafted in remember god could do that to you too so so there's a, there's a, we, we have this thing that we, we keep wanting to hold on to this thing that somehow we're not quite as bad as those other people, right? And what Paul is doing is he's, he's humbling us, right? He's thinking, helping us think through the process that, that the, the normal rational reasoning that God truly is God. He is bigger than we are, and he can do what he wants with what he made, including you. I'm autonomous. I have a free will. I can do whatever I want. Really? Lots of people, including us, have tried that. How does it work out? God is patient, but eventually he brings you to a point and, and where, as Paul writes in, you know, in Philippians, that eventually God the Father is going to bring everyone to a place where they admit that Jesus is Lord Every knee will bow, right? Every tongue will confess. Everybody will see it one day. But he has his purposes and plans. You know, it's a little humbling when I read that, because here we are. Are we any better than any of the vessels of wrath? If we're if we're vessels of God's mercy, are we better than no. why? Because it's not based on the one who runs. The one who wills, but on God who has mercy. Right? That's Paul's term.
1: It's, it is humbling. it's,
0: it's extremely humble. There's nothing in you that's better than any of these other people. And so um, he goes on. Um, <coughs> Notice that he quotes, uh, starting at verse 25, he, he has a lot of quotations um, from Hosea, right? It comes from Hosea and then from Isaiah, that's verse 20. Isaiah's verse twenty-five and twenty-six, Isaiah's verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight, and then Isaiah again, um, and basically he's just saying that uh, that there is a remnant, right? They, this has been God's plan all along, just same same as what John has been trying to tell us. Okay. Verse thirty, then of chapter nine, he says, "What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness and obtained a righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, but Israel, pursuing the the Law of righteousness has not obtained, but to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled on the stumbling stone, as it is written, "Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, uh, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame." Okay. They <clears throat> wanted to accomplish the righteousness. So he's going to go on to argue that there are there are actually two ways that you can be righteous. Okay. The first is in the law because there is a promise um, held out that says the one who does these things will live by them. So there is a promise of righteousness in the law. But Paul's argument is the problem is not that the law is wrong or that God was you know, somehow lied when he said that. No, the problem is that we can't live by these things. The problem is not with the law, but with our nature, with how we're born naturally. Okay? And that's true not just for Gentiles, but the, the chapter 1 sinners, but the chapter 2 sinners too. Right? That's his point. And, and, and what he's saying is that that we um, that that's the first way you can receive righteousness. Only one human being has ever done that. Who is that? Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. Christ. <clears throat> R.C. Sproul sent me on this one time when he asked this question. If all Jesus needed to do to accomplish our atonement is go to the cross and die, be buried, and be resurrected, why not just show up a few days before, do that, and ascend to heaven, right? Well, you could say, well, there's you know the, his ministry and rejection of the nation. and Okay, well, why not show up at the baptism of John, go to that. Why be born and live 30 years of obscurity, roughly, you know, we you know very little what he was doing, why all that? It's because he was living that perfect life you and I can't live. See, he's accomplishing that righteousness that's promised in the law for the one who can perfectly keep it. Now, the second way, from day one, from day one, from conception. Yes, true, conception. True. Yeah. that's why he has to be born. That's right. Okay, so from the moment of conception. Okay? He, is, he is perfectly accomplishing righteousness. The second way that we get righteousness, which is the gospel, right, is by faith in what he's done. And now we can have his righteousness, his accomplishment applied to us. That's imputation. And that's the gospel. He's paid for our sins, and he's accomplished perfect righteousness, both of which we embrace in faith in Christ. And we <laughs> receive that legally. And then you also get a new heart because you can't go into eternity with this same sin, the root cause of your sin intact. You have to go into eternity with a new heart, fit to live in the presence of God. Isn't that great? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the God, that's the God of mercy. That's what He's Paul's talking about here. So anyway, we went on a long trail and we're we done. But but that's yeah. <laughs> Uh, and we're not quite done yet, but let me just just wrap up by saying this because I don't want to spend, you can read, you have a Bible, you can read (laughs) chapters 10 and 11 as well, okay? It's just that Paul gets kind of wordy in here. It took me a long time to understand what he's doing, but if you understand this, what Paul's basically saying in these two chapters is this. The past, present, and future of Israel is that God used them in the past for his purposes, but they are hardened in the present because it's his purpose, right? He's he's doing that. He's They rejected their Messiah. They missed who he was because it fits into God's purpose. Well, what's his purpose? That he can also be the Savior of the whole world. That he can bring many Gentiles into the kingdom as well. And graft them in into that olive tree. And he talks about it in chapter 11 okay, as an illustration of that. that. That we were in a wild olive tree. We're in some other system. God cuts you off of there and he sticks you into the nourishment of, of all the scriptures and plugs you into his kingdom, right? He takes you out of that system and puts you into his kingdom and you benefit from that and don't be cocky about that, right? Don't be saying, ooh, you know, uh, but be humble and be thankful that God has done that and he's purposed that. Um, and so, so, Paul, so John's point and Paul's point is that Jesus... <laughs> Jesus' rejection by the nation is part of God's plan for Israel, and that the future—okay—we talk about the past, the present. The future for Israel is that God will one day bring them to a place where they will acknowledge their sin, they will acknowledge Him. And Paul puts it this way: He says all Israel will be saved. It doesn't mean all Israelites through all time, because that would contradict even what what the Lord Himself said about some of the uh, the the villages, right? Like uh, Let's say Garrison and, 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 and Capernaum, right? So that all these signs have done you to be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. Why, right? So not all Jews to all time will be say, What he's saying is the nation at and the end, as a nation, will finally recognize who he is. And when they call out to him, Isaiah 53, is their future prayer when they look back and see him whom they pierce and mourn for him, right? When they see that, he'll come. So, um, and I used, to, I used to be a little wishy-washy on that, but Paul's pretty clear. And he gives us he gives us the key, the golden key to unlocking prophecy, future prophecy in those three chapters.
1: Okay. All
0: right, let's uh, that's a lot, so let's close. On We're just finishing adult Sunday school. All right, come on in. Okay. Let's close
1: the door.